Morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here today. If this is your first time here, if you would take the Connect card that's in the worship folder and put your name on that, and after service, take that out to the information desk that's out front. we got a gift for you. It's just our way of saying thanks for coming. And so if you invited somebody to come, or if you're, you know, next time you invite somebody to come to Connection with you, just walk with your friend out to the table and, and introduce them to whoever's there and help them get involved. Speaking of that Connect card, that's the place for all of us to put things down that you need the rest of the church know about. If you want something prayed about, or if you want to say, hey, you prayed for me and here's the answer, put that on there. If you're looking for how to get involved in a life group or how to get involved in a ministry, that card is the place. And if this is not your first time, you can put that in the offering later and that'll get to the right people. So I'm glad you're here today. So a few months ago, my Netflix profile kept suggesting a movie for me. Does yours do that? Like five-star recommendation. You're going to love this movie. It was called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Anybody see that movie? I mean, it was like giving me a five-star recommendation, but I'm like, yeah, this is a great family movie. Honey, get get some popcorn. Let's go get the family on the couch and watch the comet destroy the world. Great. I don't know that I want to give two hours in my life to watching people behaving badly because they know the world's about to end, so there's no consequences. And, And spoiler alert, how the movie ends is in the title. They all die. I don't want to watch that. But that got me to thinking about how many different ways... Hollywood writers have torched the earth. You ever think about that? In the imagination of Hollywood screenwriters through TV shows and movies, we've been you know, decimated in so many different ways. I just started writing down different ways that the planet or the whole world or humanity has been destroyed. And I've got some representative examples. Maybe you've seen some of these movies. Like, uh, and I know this is not exhaustive. You might come up after service and say, Brian, you missed a whole bunch of movies. But I think about all the movies where a meteor or an asteroid or a comet destroyed the Earth. For example, Deep Impact, right? Uh, how about Alien Invasions, Independence Day? There's just an example there. How about uh, Cyborgs from the Future? Terminator 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, right? Uh, let's see, uh, Nuclear Attack. I think this one's from the 80s, the day after, or 90s, I don't remember. Uh, how about Killer Viruses, like 28 Days Later, Contagion, a whole bunch of those movies. Demonic Attack, that one's a really good one. Um, yeah, 12 Monkeys, I forgot about that one. How about The Matrix? Anybody see all of those movies? Uh, Warfare, the planet's been destroyed by warfare. Just take your pick of any number of movies. They're, oh my gosh, zombies. <laughs> You've got like... Uh, what was the, the latest movie with Brad Pitt? Oh, World War, it's on the screen, World War Z. And, oh, gosh. And then the, what's the old one? The Dawn of the Living Dead or The Night of the Living Dead? The Walking Dead, Shaun of the Dead, I just go, Zombieland. I think we're fascinated with that whole you know, apocalyptic vision. Then there's um, robots, starvation, global warming, global cooling, you know, the next ice age. There's... Uh, Volcanoes. There was a bad movie about, uh, yeah, a volcano. The coast is toast. <laughs> That's good, right? How about uh, earthquakes and tsunamis, tornadoes? My favorite, Sharknado. Why do these movies resonate with us so much? My theory on this is that we are fascinated with the end of the world whatever that's going to look like. Whether we fear it or we're just intrigued by it or we know how it's going to be but our imagination is piqued by it. We just love the thought or we at least we love to be scared about the thought of all of this just going away. Case in point, I think we're thinking a lot about this this, these days. I googled end of the world Hillary Clinton. 100 million responses immediately. So then I googled end of the world Donald Trump. Just over 100 million responses. So apparently we're hosed either way. 
you know, but very bipartisan. We're just going down the tube. Maybe it's always been this way, but it just seems to me I'm hearing an awful lot about, is this the end times? Are these the last days? You know, just people talking about it. And, and I get why you would ask that question if you do, or if you think about that. You just think about what we've seen in, in our lifetimes. And I don't care how old you are or how young you are. Just some amazing, incredible, oh my gosh, things like the rise of terrorism, Al-Qaeda and ISIS. And you look at all that stuff. You look at um, Christians being persecuted and killed for their faith all over the world. Uh, you, yeah. Yeah, there you go. But you, you think about all the other things that are happening. You've got... You know, nations and leaders just starting to ramp up the war talk, and that's kind of scary. You think about the wild weather we're witnessing. Some of these strange diseases, you like, I didn't know that I could go swimming in a lake and have a flesh-eating bacteria destroy my brain, but thank you for telling me about that. Now I have something else to worry about. It's like, is this the end? You've got, you've got these famines that are going on, cult-like religious leaders popping up. You've got increased lawlessness in various places in the world, uh, a, a rising immorality, a lot of false teachers out there, and it just seems like, you know what? We might be living in the end times. You ever get that thought? I'll be really transparent with you. The thought has occurred to me more than once that the world might end before I end. You know what I mean by that? Like, it's very possible that Jesus may come back in my lifetime. I Every day, well, maybe not every day, but probably every week, the thought occurs to me at least once that this could be the day that Jesus comes back. Like, all the signs seem to point toward that. You ever think that? You ever have those days where it's just bright and sunny and it's not the first Monday of the month and the tornado siren goes off? And just for a moment, you're like, is this it? Oh, no, it's not Jesus coming back. It's just somebody hit the button accidentally. But it's, it's kind of a question we're all living with. Is this the end? Are we in the end days? Will we recognize it if it is? Uh, and we've been in this series for the last month and a half or so, asking for a friend. where We're looking at the questions that we all want to know, but we really don't want to ask ourselves. And it's been a really good series. I have loved the dialogue that you and I have had about the questions we've brought up. I love that you all are going home and talking about it. It's driving us back to the Bible to see what does God say about some of these topics that everybody wants to know about. And so if you missed any of them or all of them, you can go back to our podcast on iTunes or go to the website connectionchristian.org and you can get caught up and get part of the conversation. Here's something else I want you to keep in mind. You've been giving some good questions, and there's not enough time to go into all the questions that we've been talking about and you've brought up. So what I'd like to do is actually do this series again, like maybe next summer. So if you have questions you haven't turned in yet, just go ahead and turn them in, and we'll, maybe we'll talk about them next summer. So uh, just keep that in mind as well. Today's question, though, that we're talking about is, are we living in the end times? Are these the last days? We're not the first people to wonder that. Actually, if you go back 2,000 years, there are people in the Bible who wondered, are these the last days? They were asking the question themselves, and what's it going to be like? In fact, if you go through just the New Testament of the Bible, there are 27 books or writings that comprise the New Testament. 23 of those 27 writings talk about the end or about the return of Jesus. A lot of stuff. Obviously, what, I got like 20, 30 minutes to talk today, so I'm not going to be able to dig into all of it, nor should I even try. I want to try to focus our thoughts on one specific thing. If the end is near, how would we know it? What does the Bible teach us about what to look for when the return of Christ is imminent so that we can be ready for it? And uh, we're going to still, even though I'm not going to cover 23 of the 27 New Testament books, we're going to cover a lot of Bible today. So if you've got a Bible app on your phone, you might want to get it out now. The worship folder is really helpful too because all the verses that I'm going to look at from the Bible are printed in there. At least the reference, you can go back home and look at them later if you can't keep up today. They'll be up on the screen as well. But we're going to go through a lot of Bible, so click your seatbelt in, because we're going to do a lot today. 
So when talking about what will the end times be like, I think about something that theologian and author Jack Cottrell said. He, he talks about how there's, according to the Bible, three big defining characteristics of the end times. You, you see these characteristics, you know it's close. And the first thing he points out is the end time will be a time of great falsehood. And, and because it's a time of falsehood, this is a battle for our minds, what we believe. And I want to take you, first of all, something Jesus taught in the Bible. This is in Matthew chapter 24. So you can start looking for that now. And uh, I'm going to start in verse 3 of Matthew 24. And again, it's on the screen. It says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. His students came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So I'll stop there for a second. You see, they're asking the question, what's the sign of you coming? What's the sign of the end of the world? And then they also talk about this thing, like, when will this happen? Well, you have to go back to verse 1 and verse 2 to see what the this is. Jesus had just told them, back when they were in the city of Jerusalem, they were talking about the temple and all the magnificent, magnificent architecture, and Jesus is like, hey, I'll tell you what, not a single stone is going to be, remain standing on it. This place is going to be destroyed. So they get out to this place on the Mount of Olives where it's private, and they say, Jesus, when will the temple be destroyed? And in their mind, if the temple's destroyed, that has to be the end of the world also. So they put these two things together. Now what we have through the rest of Matthew 24 is Jesus answering both their questions. What will it be like when the temple is destroyed, which happened in A.D. 70, by the way. It's already happened. And then he also talks about what the end of the world will be like, which has obviously not happened yet. So you go on down to verse 4. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. See that idea? It's a battle for our minds. Don't be deceived. For many will come in my name, Jesus' name, claiming, I'm the Christ, and, you'll, and he'll deceive many. You'll hear of wars. You'll hear of rumors of wars. And, but see to it that none of you are alarmed. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes in various places. All of these, they're just the beginnings of the, earth, of the birth pains. So... You see this, and Jesus goes on. Go ahead and skip down to verse 23. He continues teaching. He says, At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect. That's the Christians. To deceive even the elect, if that's even possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. Just pause here for a second. Jesus is explicitly warning us there will come a time of deception and you need to be aware of it ahead of time so that when somebody is lying to you about Jesus or about the Christ, you're ready for it. You go on. Uh, I want to go ahead and take you over to Revelation. This is probably the easiest thing you'll find in your Bible other than the beginning because it's, it's at the end. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. It says, When the thousand years are over... Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they're like the sand of the seashore. Get that theme of deception again. Now I'm going to race through these rest of these verses pretty quick here, but uh, 1 John 2.22 talks about this idea of deception. Again, who's the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is a Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. You go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, or the Antichrist, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He'll use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceive those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. 1 Timothy 4, 1. The Spirit clearly says in the later times, the last days, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 
All right, so one of the first things that we see here, you know you're at the end when you see an increase of lies taught as truth. People believing things that are just not accurate and correct. And uh, you see these false teachers who are just, everybody's flocking to them, but the person who's in the know says, why are people listening to them? They're not telling the truth about reality. Jesus, what did Jesus say about truth? He said, you'll know the truth and then the truth will do what? Set you free. So why does Satan deal in lies? Because when you don't know how things truly are, when you, truth is just an accurate representation of how things are. Right? So Satan, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. Jesus said when he's lying, he's speaking his native language because that's all he ever does. He doesn't have truth in him. And so Satan's tool against us, humanity, people made in the image of God to destroy us is to teach us things that are not true so that we, because if you don't have accurate information, you make poor decisions. You know that. And Satan wants to destroy you. He can't take out God. He already tried that and he lost miserably. So he's going to try to take us out, the people who are created in the image of God that God loves. So he's going to lie to you. He's going to get false teachers arranged who will tell people things that are just not true about the world. The people who will not point people in the direction of Jesus because there's only one name under heaven given by people which people can be saved. It's Jesus. So he's going to lie to people and say there's all kinds of ways to get to God. And he's just going to teach all these. And it's his vision just to destroy us. Which means when the end is close, people who are well-trained in this, who have an accurate knowledge of the truth, I, I try to spend a lot of time every day in this, and I hope you do too, at least some time every day learning what's true, because then you immediately recognize when something's not true. And you go, well, you know, that doesn't sound right, because the Bible says, or I've just been taught. And so what's going to happen in the end is, you're going to see things on the news, you're going to see things being taught in classrooms, you're going to hear leaders saying things, you just go like, where did that come from? That's not right. And you're going to see a whole lot of people shaking their head in agreement. You're like, Am I the only one seeing this? Am I only the one, only one seeing a problem with this? You're going to see leaders making incredibly unwise decisions because they've been deceived and they've been lied to. And it's a great deception. It's a battle for our minds and what we believe. But, but there's a whole other layer to this. Jack Cottrell also points out that another thing you can expect at the end times is it's going to be a time of great wickedness. Now, this is a battle for our wills, what we choose to do. You know, this is part of being human. We face temptation, right? Every day. Every day. We give in, we do, sometimes we do the wrong things even. But when the end is near, there's going to be this ramping up of temptation and sin. Probably the best way I can show you what this is going to be like is just to point you to something else in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. So Paul, you know, he's just this you know, apostle for Jesus Christ, has lived a long life. Timothy's a young pastor in a big church and Paul is writing him as his, his mentor. Here's some things you need to know, Timothy. So t- 2 Timothy 3.1 says, You should know this, Timothy. In the last days, there, there are going to be very difficult times. People will only love themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander other people, have no self-control. They'll be cruel. They're going to hate what's good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. Now, they'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that could actually make them godly. Timothy, stay away from people like that. That's a description of what it's going to be like in the end. Does this not sound to you like every single episode of Real Housewives? You say, what city? (laughs) Any of them. 
I don't even have to watch the show. I'd see, I flip through the channels. I see enough to know this is like, yeah. Jack Cottrell again. Um, he says, the presence of sin in the end will be so intense and so pervasive that many will just take it for granted, accept it as normal. That means that for Christians, the temptation to accept such wickedness and even participate in it will be both subtle and powerful. So that's, that's a tip-off that things are getting close to the end. When people are using their free will to do things that are absolutely contrary to God's will. Like, you've been taught, here's right and here's wrong, and you see people embracing wrong and actually saying it's good and celebrating it and saying this is the way we should live. And you're like, no, maybe I didn't grow up that way, but when I became a Christian, I was taught that I'm supposed to live this way, and there's this actual battle. What you're going to find is Christians are going to respond one of two ways. They're either going to just go like, you know, this is the culture we live in, we've got to go along to get along, and you're going to see some people, even believers in Jesus, giving in to this, this lie about this, okay, to live that way. Or you're going to pe- see people stand up and say, I'm not going to do that. Not necessarily being obnoxious, not being judgmental, but just saying, I'm not going to do that. But in so doing, you're putting a target on your back. Because you don't go along to get along. People find that grating and irritating. And in some ways, it makes them feel bad because you're kind of an example of what they really in their heart of hearts know that they should be doing, which leads to the third sign that you're in the end times. Again, this is Jack Cottrell, and he points out that the end will be known as a time of great persecution, and this is a battle for our lives. Deception goes after our mind. The wickedness goes after our will, what we choose to do. And if none of that works, Satan will go after our very lives. Matthew chapter 24, go back there again. verse 9, Jesus said, you will be arrested, you will be persecuted, you will be killed, you'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers, Jesus' followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world and all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Jesus is using some pretty strong language here. And I I don't want to scare you, but he does use strong... Like Mark Mitchell says, God doesn't put bubble wrap around the Christians when the end comes. There's going to be some times where Christians are going to face... You know, obviously Jesus talks about losing your life. And that's a very real possibility. One that Christians all over the world even today face. People in Indonesia, Christians in India, and uh, in the Middle East. Like last month, a French priest in the middle of services in the middle of the week was killed for being a Christian. But the persecution may not always take the form of just actually taking your life. It just may be ostracization, being ridiculed, being bullied. People stop going into your business because you're a Christian and refuse to do business with you so you can't support your family. And when that time comes, you're going to feel like there's a target on your back just because you believe what you believe. And you're going to feel like, man, is this the end? And you may very well be right about that. Yeah, I think the obvious question is, when I look around and I see all these signs in my current world, are we now living in the end times? And it's a good question. I see a whole lot of signs that say, yes, we very well may be. And um, I, I just think anybody who's paying attention can see it. But still, you've got to answer the question one way or another, right? Or at least I do, because I'm the one who asked it. Are we living in the end times? Is Jesus going to come back soon? Maybe. Maybe not. How's <laughs> that for a definite answer, right? I can't be any more specific than that because the Bible isn't. I'm not trying to be vague with you. I'm just, you know, I, I, again, Jack Cottrell's getting a lot of airtime, but I like how he said this. He says the Bible is deliberately ambiguous about when Christ will return. 
what that means is any time in history, anybody could have reasonably looked around and said, I think Jesus is coming back today. And they would be right. I mean, come on, you look at the people who were here when Jesus taught and preached. You look at the apostles who spread the word and the church began. They thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. They really thought, I'm not even going to die. Jesus is going to come back before. I mean, that's 2,000 years ago and he hasn't yet. But through history, there have been several times where you could look and go, wow, the evil was rampant, the persecution was rampant, the lies were just all over the place, and Jesus could have come. I think the Bible is, and Jesus is intentional about teaching us this way so that we're always ready. Because if you are ready and you're thinking it could be now, you're going to keep your eyes open, you're going to be aware. First Peter 4, 7 says this, the, the end of the world is coming soon, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayer. We might be in the end times. So I want to get really practical with you just for a second. How do we prepare for Christ's return? Maybe I can give you an analogy before I give you something to to work with here. Any of you ever run like a marathon before? I know at least a couple of you have. I've never run a marathon before, but it looks cool. (laughs) I've watched the Olympic marathoners this last week. I I I have so much respect for that. I'd like to do it at some point. Marathoners tell me there's a point... Maybe around mile 20 or 21 where you just feel like you hit a wall. Is that right? I mean, just you just feel like you lose all will to live. You question why you ever decided to run in the first place. you like, if somebody offered me a ride right now, I would take it. And, it just, and you know that going into the race. And the only thing that you can do other than run a marathon before you run your marathon is because you can't really prepare for that other than just to say mentally, I'm going to train as well as I can and I'm going to make a commitment that I will not quit when I hit that point. I don't know, maybe some of you have run a 5K and felt like you hit the wall, like 1K into it. But but you know that sensation. I think when Jesus gives us these warnings and the Bible gives us these teachings, what they're trying to say is there's going to come a point where you're going to feel like you hit a wall and you're going to say, no more. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. It's too hard. In those moments, hang on because you're almost there. You're at the very end. Hard times are going to come, but you don't have to give in to them. So what do we do to get ready? First thing I would suggest is just keep watching. Here's, I, I don't want to try to analyze you too much, but when people ask, are, are we in the end times? Here's what I think they're really asking. How much time do I have left? Like if you ever had to pay taxes, not like when you have to do your taxes and you get money back, but when you owe money, do you do your taxes in January? And send, No. No, April 14th and April 15th, right? What we're asking when we say, is Jesus coming back soon, is, is it January 15th or is it April 14th? Like, how long do I have before I need to really get my act together? And my advice would be to you is to not wait till April 14th to start preparing for Jesus' return. The time to start preparing is now. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 42, Stay awake. You don't know what day your Lord is coming. Remember the big deal back in 2012? The Mayan calendar and how the world was going to end because the Mayan calendar ended in 2012? You see how that turned out, right? It turned out they just ran out of paper. Nothing more than that. But back in 2012, everybody's thinking, well, could this be the end? So Reuters, the news service, commissioned a worldwide study to get people's attitudes about the end of the world. Here's what they found. 15% of the world said, I think the world could end in my lifetime. Which means 85% of the world does not take Jesus' teaching seriously that the end could be any time. But we're not part of the night. We're part of the day. We're the ones who are keeping our eyes open. We're the ones who are staying awake. We're the ones who are watching eagerly for Jesus to come back. And so it's not going to come as a surprise to us. So we can be ready for it. Romans 13 says this. You know what sort of time we live in. 
So you should live properly. It's time to wake up. You know that the day when we'll be saved is nearer than when we first put our faith in the Lord. Night's almost over. Day will soon appear. We've got to stop behaving as people do in the dark and be ready to live in the light. So behave properly as people do in the day. Don't go to wild parties or get drunk or be vulgar or indecent. Don't quarrel or be jealous. Let the Lord Jesus Christ be as near to you as the clothes you wear. Then you won't try to satisfy your selfish desires. So if in the end it's going to be a battle for our minds, the time to learn the truth of the Bible is now. If it's a battle for our wills, the time to commit yourself and myself to holiness and being a godly person and learning how to do that, because it's a process you train, and the time to start that's now. If there's going to be a persecution, the time to make up our minds that we're going to stick to Jesus no matter what is now. You just got to be watchful. And uh, there's one more thing I would advise you. If you've never done this, you ought to commit your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says this. Peter, the Apostle Peter says, I want to remind you in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth, <coughs> following their own desires. They're going to say, hey, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From the time of our ancestors, everything's remained the same. Since the world was created, nothing's changed. He's not coming. But go on down to verse 9. The Lord's not being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. I think about this, and I think maybe the only reason that Jesus has not come back yet is because he's given you time. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody that you love and care about or work with or live next to, and you need to be praying on your knees every day and inviting them to come. Because maybe the only reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is he's giving them every last moment and opportunity to say yes to the life that Jesus can offer them. You ever think about that? I don't want you to get freaked out about the end of the world. Come on, who's in charge of the schedule? Is it Satan? No. God's the one who's running everything. My friend Bill Hush always says, I can tell you the end of the world in three sentences. God wins, Satan loses, pick a side. That's it. And it is such a simple thing to turn to God. And then you don't even have to worry because you know in the end it's going to work out well for you. Gene Apple says this. He says, whether or not we're living in the last days, you're living in your last days. And whether or not we're living in the end times, you're living in your end times. We all have an expiration date. The best thing you can do with your life is turn it over to Jesus and ask for his salvation and ask him to teach you how to live And if you have never done that, if you've never been obedient to him and submitted your life to him and asked for his forgiveness, repented of your sins, been baptized, today would be an awesome day to do that. And we would be happy to talk with you after church. Give me a call at the office this week. And let's look at the Bible. And let's do something about that if that's the step you need to take. You know, if you've submitted your life to Jesus, but you've kind of, you know, your path has gone way out here away from him, it's time to turn around and come back. And he's not going to judge you. He's just going to invite you back. You need to turn to him today and be ready. Would you stand up and let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for all the truth that you share with us. I mean, you just are so open with us about what you expect. And you're so open about your love for us. And you're so... Just giving, that you gave the life of your one and only Son, Jesus, to save us. So I'm asking, Father, that you would give us a strong sense through your Holy Spirit of what it is we should do next. You give us the strength to obey you. That you would take away any fear that we have. That you'd fill us with a sense of faith and optimism for our future. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.